uh, is a, a great point to transition, but just, I don't know, doing something you're unhappy with is just not a, not a feasible option for me. Uh, and I have no regrets over what I've What's up, Mentors Collective? Uh, on this episode, I'm actually joined by someone who is an inspiration to me and someone who's kind of been through a similar journey as me, uh, which is super unique because I feel like not a lot of people go the medical route, turn a corner, and now become successful entrepreneurs. I thought uh, originally I was one in a needle in a haystack, but I'm not. Uh, on this episode, I'm joined by another. Uh, another more impressive than myself, much more impressive. And we're going to have a, an awesome conversation uh, about that transition, about kind of the difference uh, in education and life pursuit and values uh, and how that actually happens and what drives someone to leave one of the most coveted professions on earth to go and try your luck at business. Uh, so this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so on this episode, I want to introduce Shiv Gaglani, the co-founder and CEO of Osmosis.org, which by the way, is a product that I actually used back in medical school. So super cool. Uh, it's a leading health education platform uh, with a audience of millions, current and future clinicians, as well as patients and family members. Shiv's passion is developing and innovating uh, scalable solutions in medicine and in healthcare education. Uh, that's why he's got the smartphone physical, which debuted at, de de debuted at TedMed and the Patient Promise, a movement to improve clinical clinician-patient relationship through partnership and pursuing healthy lifestyle behaviors. So he's also a writer. Um, he's written several books. He's a long long contributor at Forbes uh, and is also named under 30 under 30 in 2018. Graduated Harvard in 2010 with degrees in engineering and health policy. Got his MD at Johns Hopkins, uh, one of the top medical schools in the country, uh, and then an MBA from Harvard in 2016. Super, it's probably the most impressive resume I've ever actually read. So Shiv, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you for taking a few minutes with me and my audience today. I'm super excited to get to meet you, get to know you, uh, and explore kind of this journey that you've been on. Okay, it's, uh, yeah, thanks, for, thanks for taking the time to have me. It's a very uh, a generous introduction as well, and um, I look forward to hearing more about your journey too, and uh, thank you for using Osmosis. Thank you for creating it. Uh, so I'd love to kind of open up the the platform for you a little bit. Tell us, you know, what 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 was this journey? What drove you through it? You've been through a lot of different stuff. Uh, obviously, you've been a high performer along the way for everything that you've done. Uh, so I would love to hear, you know, what tell me your, your tell me about your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. So um, you know, I in, <clears throat> when I look back on it, like I wasn't creating companies early on in high school or college, but what I was doing was, you know really enjoying taking ideas and, and bringing people together, coming up with ideas and bringing people together to execute on those ideas, not for the pursuit of revenue or, or as a business venture, but for the pursuit of impact. So you mentioned, you know, two books I had written, um, started those in college. Those were co-authored with several other people. And one was helping promote science research as, uh, as a valuable activity for high school and college students to get to innovate and be creative. And so I brought four of my close friends together and we spent a lot of time just working on this book, finally published it and then, you know, distributed it uh, pretty broadly. Um, and so that wasn't a business that was just, we, we had an idea that would be helpful, decided to come together and create it. Same with clubs, smartphone physical, patient promise, but osmosis was a bit different where, you know, in med school, uh, my co-founder Ryan and I were anatomy partners and we realized as you probably did too, most med students realize there's a lot of wasted time 
in med school. There's a lot of inefficiencies. You're cramming things. You're forgetting them. Do you actually even need a lot of the stuff to be a good clinician? And so we started applying our backgrounds in education and in neuroscience to this own problem. And not, not again, not with the goal of starting a company, just the goal to solve our very real problem of learning medicine as medical students. And so we started hacking away on our spare time, building this platform. And then when we released it at Hopkins Med, within a few weeks, we started hearing from friends of friends at Tufts and Northwestern and Chicago Med, and then decided, you know, maybe it's time to dedicate the summer to this. We'll do research, but we'll also work on this. Built it up more, got more people interested in using it. And then finally, there was an opportunity for us to leave med school, uh, take a break, so I've actually didn't finish. I'm, I'm seven years on leave from Hopkins Med and did my MBA in between um, and kind of actually try making it a company. And so that's what we did. We went, moved to Philadelphia, did a tech incubator, went from a couple hundred users to uh, about 5,000 users in the summer. And then uh, off to the races, decided to scare our parents to take more time off med school and uh, and actually form a company around it. Uh, and it's been it's been a it's been a really good journey, and um, first few years, you know, it's kind of like law of compounding, where like it was nice getting more user numbers, but now we make we've had days where we make more revenue in a day than we do our first like two or three years of working on the company, um, and so it's not it's it's definitely been a compounding journey with a lot of ups and downs, and I'd love to share not only the successes but the plenty of failures we've seen along the way. Yeah, that decision to initially say, you know, this we have something here. Let's leave medical school, whether it be temporarily or we'll, you know, we'll see. Uh, to to go pursue this must have been a really scary decision, uh, not only for you but you know your family. I'm sure there's a lot of people very emotionally invested in your medical education. Uh, I know I I had the same thing, the same types of pressure. Uh, so what was that like, and and what flipped the switch for for you to have enough confidence uh, to actually do that and pull the trigger? Yeah, so a couple of things. One is there was precedent. So I think that's always useful. I and mean, obviously the name of, of a mentor collective too, like you find a mentor, you find people a little older than you, whether they're people you actually know, people you read about, and you can easily contact so many people you read about now. And I welcome people to contact me from this podcast on LinkedIn. You just send a quick note all the time. Every week I get a couple of people doing that. I can't imagine how many people, actually successful people are getting contacting them about uh, mentorship or, or at least just advice. Um, or somebody who lived long before who wrote a book, uh, autobiography or biography, you find a mentor and you then you know something is possible. So even at Hopkins Med the year before me uh, and Ryan started Osmosis, there was another duo starting a company and they took time off med school and went to a tech incubator. The year before them, there was someone else doing that. So it wasn't like we came out of nowhere. Um, there was a precedence for people taking the time. And nowadays it's so, it's so much easier to start a company in terms of capital requirements. There's you know, uh, you don't have to buy servers anymore if you want to do a tech company. Um, there's there's all these tech incubators that you can go to get initial seed capital. Obviously, you pay for it in terms of equity, but um, it's possible to do that. And and there's so much free advice and content out there about it that it's really just more about the courage to to change path. And yeah, you're right. There was a lot of emotional investment to my medical career, but the risk was also very low because we had this tech incubator. I wasn't dropping out of med school right away. I was just taking leave. And I'm still on leave. And so there was always a plan B. That being said, 
you know, having this burn the bridges mentality sometimes is important to get those inflection points. And for me, I know we would not have accomplished what we have with osmosis if we were trying to double dip and be students while building the company. I've had a lot of friends try doing the same thing. It's just, it's just really difficult unless you have a co-founder or someone who's full-time on it. Yeah, and I think it's important for people to know and a good lesson here, right? Because you, you kind of already knew this was going to be successful. There was precedent. You had proof of concept. You had support from your school. You didn't just YOLO and say, I'm, I'm, t- I'm sick of medical school. Uh, I'm going to go try and be an entrepreneur. Uh, you, you did this the right way, the safe way. Uh, and a lot of people out there you know, might be in a career path that they might not love, uh, but there's right and, ro- right and wrong ways to do things and a lot of factors involved in that decision. Uh, so it's a very, very interesting thing. Uh, do you have any plans to, to go back? Yeah, I mean, that's why I keep deferring. Um, you know, I love... What I, what I love about Osmosis right now at the stage we've reached, we have 70 employees. I just brought on an, an investor of ours is now our full-time COO um, after conversations with him about kind of career plans and where we're going. And he's, you know, he's, he's uh, 49. He's done this before. He scaled companies from about our size to, to much larger. And I've, enjoy, I've really enjoyed the journey and continue doing it. That being said, like, you know, I brought him on largely because he's a good mentor, but also because he's taken on a lot of roles that I was doing day to day that now are freeing me up to do what I'm best at, which is the business development, like forming new relationships with companies like 23andMe, which is one of our clients, Fresenius, another client, um, obviously all these med- over 150 medical nursing and PA schools we work with. And what I love about Osmosis is that there's scale now. So even if I leave, you know, we have this impact. We have 2.1 million YouTube subscribers. When I go to bed, we have X number of users. When I wake up, we have X plus a thousand users. And so I love the fact that I could step away from the business and like people are still using it. There's scale and impact. But what I do miss about being a teacher or being a, being a uh, clinician, potentially being on that journey was the one-on-one contact, the, the source of inspiration for the, for creating a company in the first place. I didn't create osmosis to create a company, created osmosis to solve a real problem that students have. And so similarly, I know there's so much interesting stuff to be done in healthcare, uh, healthcare technology, that I think I'd kind of be missing out from just experiencing that with patients and direct firsthand experience of the the problems that patients and and fellow clinicians are facing. So I I definitely am interested in going back. It's just, there's no real timeline on it yet. Yeah, and you mentioned impact as a factor, right? I mean, as a doctor, a lot, many people would argue that doctors have such high impact. They impact people's lives more than, you know, most any other profession. Uh, but starting a business is kind of a different type of impact, right? Like you said, you, you go to sleep, you wake up, there's a thousand more people that you potentially impacted. How do you, you know, contextualize that difference? And do you feel like you're having more of an impact with what you're doing now than you would as a, as a clinician? There's no right answer. Like, I frankly think that it just depends on you and what, what, like, what, what are the rules you play by? And like, frankly, that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned. There's no, you know, for someone like, like you and me, we got into med school. It was very much a set path. I mean, there are different paths to get into med school, but like, you still have to take the MCAT. You have to do well in your classes. Maybe do a post-bac, do some research or uh, shadowing or whatever it is. And so there was very much like a career progression, like a ladder. Um, so there were rules, there are rules to getting into school, there are rules when you're in school. But in life, there are no rules, really. Like, I mean, there's the, the social contract, but there's no real, it really depends on what you want your life to be, your lived experience, and what you would consider to be a good life with minimizing regret by the time you're, you're on your deathbed. Um, and so for me, you know, one is not better than the other. It's just 
different experiences. And I think I do miss like some of my friends who actually finished and became surgeons or ER docs. Like I like the idea of like, like using my hands to like help someone, one person on that day, help them. They had a tumor, then they don't have a tumor. Right. Like that's pretty gratifying, but I also love what we've done at osmosis where like, you know, millions of people have consumed content uh, and learned medicine better because of what we've done. Um, so I think, I think for me, my rules right now, my values are, I want to try both and I want to have a life that lets me do both. So maybe I'll go into clinical medicine or teaching one-on-one and that individual experience for years, but then the new idea will strike me, which will bring me back to something that just scales in this way. Um, but I, I do think it's, uh, uh, it just depends on you and what makes you happy. Yeah, very much. And there's so many different ways to look at it, right? Like you're building the next generation of doctors, the next two, three generations of doctors because of the product and the service you've created. And that's such a cool feeling. Uh, Now, now just kind of going into, I guess, the lifestyle ramifications of this decision. Like you must have seen, I'm sure you grew up around medicine. Your friends are now practicing doctors. You, you, You wouldn't you see enough doctors in the world actually living life and what their life looks like and feels like? And you start to imagine what your life would be like if you were to, to finish and go into whatever specialty that you were leaning towards and what that would be versus like what it is now and how the, the lifestyle of, of this new life that you've chosen. Uh, did that have an impact at all on your decision? Uh, did you see a, a life going one way and did you want a certain lifestyle or wanted to avoid it? Uh, talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. It's a really important consideration because also what you want in life changes um, as you age. And so I was just talking to my board member literally right before this call and I gave him the analogy, like I used to be a competitive chess player and I love, you know, the way my mind thinks it's like very sequential. Like I tried planning two, three, four, five steps ahead. Um, This is a great book. I recommend if you haven't read it, it's uh, the score takes care of itself. And um, it was about the San Francisco 49ers and the coach of the 49ers uh, when they turned turned around from being the worst team in the NFL to being Super Bowl champions in two seasons, and how he had plan A, B, C, D, all the way through Z uh, for everything, every uh, contingency. And I'm not like that much of a planner, but chess is one where you're thinking through like multiple steps ahead. And he countered that like life is actually not like chess, and and I agree with it because you know the pieces change how they move, the board itself changes, no longer eight by eight, it could be sixteen by sixteen, it could be three dimensional, and so that's a valid point that it's really hard to plan for those contingencies. That being said, like the lifestyle, I'm, I, that's one thing I'm most worried about, but going back is I love, I have total autonomy. Uh, I have, uh, you know, an income that's really good uh, relative to being back in med school or residency. And I have, um, I feel like I'm learning. And I think that's what I probably missed the most from med school is I, I think that auto- that mastery and that purpose too could be really gratifying in med school. And it just depends on your attitude, but um there is this sacrificial feeling among medical medicine and this hierarchy um, and a lot of burnout. I mean, you mentioned a lot of our friends have finished. How many of them have burned out and stopped and left clinical medicine? It's a, it's a good amount. And I think COVID's made it worse. So I definitely see the, you know, building is a bit on fire. And so do you rush in and then like, can you, can you take care of the flame? Can you, can you handle the heat or the, or the smoke? Part of me wants to know and, and be tested in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And for a lot of people listening who aren't familiar with like medical education, Johns Hopkins is one. I mean, you could probably have your choice of whatever specialty that you wanted to do. Uh, so you had, could have a good idea. If you want to be an orthopedic surgeon, a plastic surgeon, you can go do that and have a good lifestyle. Uh, for me, when I when I left, I was in a family medicine residency. 
I hated my life. I felt like a cog in the wheel. I was spending my days doing notes, um, had no autonomy, no freedom. Uh, and the decision for me to leave was, I guess, a little, little bit easier than you imagining your life as a, what, what was your specialty of choice? What were you leaning towards when you left? Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, that's definitely the, the number one thing I hear from people who burn out. Yeah. Notes, like the system is just not set up for, for you to thrive. Like you want to be spending more time with patients and doing what, what you imagined. And then like you're spending off hours, hours a day documenting and making sure the hospital is billing correctly or able to get billed, making sure the patient kind of cover your ass kind of stuff and, and not getting sued sucks. Like, and so I definitely know that I'm sorry to hear that you have that experience for me. You know, I wasn't sure. I think third and fourth year would have been required for me to get there, but I was leaning towards emergency medicine because most people I knew who go into that is predictable shift work. Uh, a lot of people I know who do medical school and entrepreneurship go into ER or EMED. And then um, it seems like it's a good place for adrenaline junkies. And my favorite hobbies are, you know, like snowboarding and flying and like super adrenaline uh, rushes. No, I love that. Me too. Uh, definitely notice a lot of adrenaline junkies in, in, in EMED. You also get to kind of build your schedule, do one week on one week off. So for entrepreneurs, it makes a lot of sense too. Uh, very cool. Uh, are you enjoying, you know, life as an entrepreneur? What's your current lifestyle like versus, you know, what it would have been obviously 80 hour weeks and craziness? Yeah, I think it's been, it's been really great. I mean, um, there've definitely been challenges and failures, as I mentioned, where I don't have as much, like everyone thinks you have a total autonomy, but no, I mean, I have bosses, I have employees that are sort of my bosses in a, in a company, which has servant leadership. You know, you, you, you have to respond to a lot of things that come up. Some employees, uh, COVID especially led to a lot of this where you're adjusting what you do as a, as a leader, as a company based on what your employees want, which is, which is, I think how companies should do it, but it can also be very draining over time because there's, you know, so many issues that come up over, over the years, especially as we scaled from 30 people to 70 people in the course of a year and a half or, or two years or so. Uh, so that's changed the role a lot. Um, investors, right? We took investors. And so there's definitely, we've had, we have wonderful investors, very founder friendly investors like Felicis Ventures and Graycroft. That being said, they're still sort of your bosses. Like I don't own hundred percent of the company. I can't, I can set my schedule. I can do what I, I can make the core decisions, but I still have investors and shareholders to take care of in addition to the stakeholders, like employees, um, partners, customers, right? Like, so we, we fortunately now I, there was a time when I was answering all the support tickets for the first few years of osmosis, I personally responded to 10,000 support tickets that came in to osmosis. And that gave me a really good grasp of the business, but it was obviously really draining because I was hours and hours and hours of doing that every week. Um, now we have a whole team. We have seven people doing customer support, uh, several of which are in the, in the Philippines. Um, so that's been a good be benefit of growing, but at the same time, customers will sometimes need your attention, especially some of our early medical and nursing schools that I personally assigned. Once in a while, I still check in with them. I love it, but also it's you know feels like you're on call with them. But in all, I like my lifestyle. I think it's uh, you know I'm a digital nomad. The company was fully distributed before COVID, and um, now all of our partners are distributed too, or or at least familiar with Zoom. And so you know I was I was in Switzerland for two weeks. I mean this sounds really fancy, but I was in, I was working, but in Switzerland for two weeks visiting a friend. Um, that does, I'm not like always in Switzerland. I don't want to give you that impression, but like, you know, there were days where as CEO of my own company, you know, a powder day in Utah where I was based for a while, um, I would cancel my meetings that day and go snowboarding. I would make up for it. I like work, working all the time on weekends and stuff, but I, I do think being your own 
boss in most cases, it can be a really beneficial way to run life because ultimately you want freedom of time and how you apply your time. At least I do. And, uh, and I know that's what I'd be sacrificing going back into clinical medicine, at least for the short term. Yeah. And the other thing, I mean, you've worked your butt off, I'm sure on building this amazing company uh, and eventually you'll be able to either sell or step back and let the machine run itself and then have total freedom to, you know, go back to Johns Hopkins just for fun, just because you want to, or do whatever is next for you move on to the next business. And that's something that you don't really have as an opportunity that you have as a doctor. I mean, you're paid by the hour, you're paid a salary. And if you stop working, you stop getting paid. Uh, so, it's, I mean, it's one of the most understated, at least understated things about being an entrepreneur, being a business owner, is you actually get to pour all of those hours and sweat and tears into something that eventually can be self-sustainable or sellable. Uh, and I, I do want to spend a few minutes kind of talking to the doctors and the other professionals who might be listening, the medical students even, about if they are unhappy, and I know you weren't unhappy, you had a you know rev revolutionary idea that you decided to, to leave for, uh, but making that transition for a lot of people who, who think about it. you know, I have friends who are doctors who are like, I, I wanna do what you're doing. Uh, and there's probably a right and a wrong way to do it, but I would love to talk a, a little bit specifically about making that transition. Yeah, I, I mean, there's uh, so many, again, so many people who've done it at different stages. There are people who were going to go to med school or nursing school decided against it. There are people who are in school, decided to drop out fully, or like me, take leave. My co-founder dropped out fully. Um, there's people who do residency, and then they decide um, in that time. I think, again, you can find someone who's at any stage who's done that stuff and learn from them. And that's one of the fastest ways to, to grow and make decisions. But ultimately, you have to listen to what you want in your heart and what, what your experience has been. Um, there's a lot of tools and resources out there for those considering al alternative careers. Um, we have a collaboration with the White Coat Investor, Jim Dolly, who's also an emergency physician. We recently had him on our podcast and we did a whole video with him on ways to pay for med school. You know, he, he makes more right now from his White Coat Investor blog than he did as an emergency physician, but he still practices once in a while uh, to keep his skills up and he likes what he does. Um, I think burnout often, and he has a ton of great content on non-clinical careers and alternatives in medicine. Same with Dropout Club, if you've ever heard of that newsletter where uh, we've actually recruited several physicians and nurses and PAs who've joined osmosis as content contributors or directors of curriculum who, like we just had an endocrine surgeon join us. She spent over a decade training, became an endocrine surgeon, helped a lot of people uh, directly as a surgeon, but now uh, fell in love with medical education and is now working on osmosis, doing a lot of health education at scale. Um, Dr. Mamuna Kokar is her name. And so it was a tough decision for her to, to, you know, there's a lot of sunk cost, right? When you go into all that training, but you can reinvent yourself. I mean, people are living pre-COVID, the mortality was higher or life expectancy was higher, but people are living in 70s, 80s, 90s. You can have multiple careers. One of my friends, his dad just graduated law school at 79, uh, it's possible. And so I think just knowing, not having that self-limiting belief of like sunk cost or um, or not being all or nothing, realizing that maybe you can structure things so you can maybe on the side do a side hustle while maybe reducing your clinical hours or find a job where you can you know be a locum or something like that. Uh, go look at Dropout Club, talk to people, read things. Uh, you can see that it isn't, not all choices are binary and not all choices are irreversible. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there's there's ways out of it, no matter what profession or what, what specialty you are. I have friends who are working at a clinic on weekends and 
really you don't you don't need that much to live. And if you're talking about student loans, especially federal ones, we call it a doctor tax, 10% of your disposable income if you're on one of these payment plans. Uh, so that's no excuse. And the, the time is really no excuse either. Granted, I know there's a lot of factors people get dependent on, you know, lifestyle, kids are in private school, they've got a giant mortgage and fancy cars, that makes things harder. Uh, but being able to, you know, live like a resident for a few years while you're working on your side hustle, working on your business, uh, is a, a great point to transition. But just, I don't know, doing something you're unhappy with is just not a, not a feasible option for me. Uh, and I have no regrets over what I, I love my life right now. Uh, leaving was one of the best things that I ever did. Will I ever go back? Yeah, but when, not when I need to financially. Um, you know, when it's, when it's a fun thing, I'll go back. Uh, and looking forward to it. Ultimately, like I think one of the freeing you know, beliefs that you've indicated there too is, yeah. is money comes and goes, time just goes, right? Like at least the way we experience time, it's, it's one direction. And so if you don't enjoy your life uh, or if you're not enjoying your day-to-day experience, there's a period of time where it's fine to just tough it out. But, but if that's like, that's not just day-to-day, that's not just a, an acute period, like nobody enjoyed cramming and studying for MCAT or step one, clearly. But some people did but most people don't. Um, whereas like if you looked ahead and saw, okay, like this is the health system we live in, let's change it however we decide to do it. You made the right choice. And again, you could go back, things can change. Um, and frankly, maybe the impact you're having by helping other people make similar decisions or not that decision, you know, it has ripple effects and you're able to achieve that scale. Yeah, no, 100%. That's a great point, especially the sunk cost thing. You know, yes, it's a sunk cost. But what's going to be more of a sunk cost is looking back 10 years and thinking about how unhappy you were and how how, how slow that went by. Uh, so, I mean, it, yes, it's late. Um, yes, I spent a lot of time in school and in training. Uh, but the sooner you pull the plug on something that you know isn't working, the more time you end up saving in the long run. Uh, so it's kind of a, a cool and interesting concept to think about. Totally. Couldn't agree more. Not just on what profession you choose, what relationships you're in. There's a whole host of host of things that, that applies to. Yeah, 100%. Now, the decision to go to uh, business school after dropping out. Talk to me about that, because that's something I've actually considered for myself. So I'd love to hear about your experience. Yeah, so actually, I applied to medical and business school the same year as a senior in college. So I knew I was MD-PhD track want to do research, but then realized that my skill set was much more taking, like either coming up with the idea, but then scaling it into use. Like too many of my empty PhD friends were, you know, they're amazing people, but they just, it wound up like they spent so many years and the outcome was like a publication or two and really interesting stuff, but that never really got to market to help people. And so I switched my senior year from MD PhD to MD MBA because I realized that my skill set and what I like is, is more attuned to business school than, than grad school. And so I got in, that's where I decided, to, you know, I applied the same year. So I knew I was going to HBS at some point. Uh, was it after my second year, or after my third year? So really after my second year, when I took time off med school for osmosis, that was a natural point, spend a year doing osmosis, and then I went to business school. And it was really good because the first uh, money we raised at osmosis were my business school professors who encouraged me to, to go full-time on it. Don't go back to med school right away. We're going to give you some money, take this idea to the next level. And, and they were pressing it and very helpful. Also, someone like you, you have a podcast, you have a net, you have an audience. Like I think would thrive in a business school environment. Uh, I'd love to introduce you to a friend of mine too, Justin Gordon, who runs uh, Just Go Grind. It's a, a podcast. And he was at USC Marshall School of Business. I think it's like, 
you know, you love meeting people, you love hearing their stories, you like making introductions and sharing, sharing that. That's frankly, I think 50%, if not more, like 75% of the value of business school to me. I don't, there's like very few companies I work with that, or, or individuals I work with that don't have some sort of connection or second or third degree connection to people I know from HBS. And so it's been a superpower in terms of ramping up my network and credibility at the same time. Um, and then the actual things we've learned, that's helpful. It sometimes get, gets discounted, but there are a few cases I learned in business school that I keep referring to, whether it's how to manage someone or how to do something strategically with the company. Um, it's just really interesting. And it's not like med school. It's not, you know, sometimes described as soul sucking. It's actually, you know, some people describe it as a two-year party to some extent. It depends on what you make out of it, but it's certainly a lot easier than, than med school. Yeah, that's what I was uh, would have guessed. Uh, the subject matter that you'd be learning in business school, just a little bit, little bit easier going from Johns Hopkins neuroanatomy classes to you know, learning about basic entrepreneurial and business skills. Uh, but the networking is really kind of what I assumed the value would be, and you validated that. So, so thank you. Was that just a one-year program at Harvard? Was it live in person? It was in person, um, and I did a full two-year experience. Um, it's again build the relationships with more people. Uh, obviously, take more debt on to do that, but uh, I found it valuable. And I was still working on osmosis during that time. So my second year, you take elective classes. And so many of the elective classes I chose were ones that would allow me to make osmosis the project. So not only was I working on osmosis, but I brought together a bunch of other business school friends to come in on the projects with me. And you know, HBS actually funded a trip that several of us took to Africa to provide free access of osmosis to University of Namibia and University of Cape Town. Um, so it was like a really cool experience. Uh, and I, and I, I highly recommend, like, I don't think it's necessary. Tons of the best entrepreneurs I know don't do MBAs. They don't, they don't need to, or like it's, you know, it's the idea, it's the product, doesn't need the, the connections, but uh, for others, it's a it turbocharges them. Yeah. And, you know, you answered my biggest questions, which were one, are you able to kind of continue working on your, your pursuit while you're there? So I assume most of the people who are at Harvard Business School are actively engaged in business in some in one way or another. Uh, and then two, were the connections that you made there actually worthwhile? And the answer seems to be yes. Uh, so cool, definitely something uh, for me and my my co-founder to consider at least applying for. You know, might as well <laughs> uh, that that and some of the other the other top ones. Uh, did you have friends that went there? What inspired you to do that? Yeah, well, all these, so a lot of business schools know that healthcare is the largest sector of the economy yeah. and it's going to be bigger, even bigger post COVID. Um, and so they're looking, and it's going through a fundamental shift from fee for service to value based medicine, as you know really well, having actually finished and, and practiced. Um, so I think, I think a lot of schools are looking for people with your talents, uh, people who've gone through healthcare who are MDs or DOs and know, know what they're doing. Um, and how to improve healthcare. Like, why did you leave? It's because the systemic issues um, of how we treat cogs, people as cogs, as opposed to, you know, valuable employees and contributors. And so, um, by the way, if you need, if you want any advice or help, like happy to, happy to help review and make connections as well. Um, your question was, uh, remind me of the, the actual question again. Uh, the Harvard Business School decision. Uh, is that something oh. that you and your co-founder did together or? No. He's a CTO, like he's an engineer, he doesn't gotcha. like barely on LinkedIn, that kind of stuff. Um, so it was definitely more me. And then I did know a lot of friends. I mean, I had a lot of friends who went there. Um, 
at Harvard undergrad, there was this two plus two program. So a lot of people in my class were doing this two plus two program. Um, and yeah, just a lot of people wound up going to business school, but for different reasons, not everyone wants to create a company. A lot of people went to the consulting or biotech or, or investment banking. Yeah, I guess the, the running joke is you go to business school to learn how to be a C-level executive at someone else's business. Uh, you typically yeah. don't, don't go to start your own business. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's that was probably probably some business schools are more like that. But like Harvard especially has been trying to counter that notion and yeah. compete with Stanford where you know, Harvard Silicon Valley, they that's the one that they most compete with for tech startups. And so uh, they have this great rock center for entrepreneurship, which is which you know tons of founders come from. One of my favorite professors and investors in my company is a professor named Jeff Buskang, who um, who runs an entrepreneurial class at HBS. Tons of founders come out of that class. So uh, definitely, I think uh, a little antiquated uh, notion. Gotcha. Yeah, it's good to know. Uh, it's definitely uh, you know one of the things that goes around about business school. Uh, so cool. Uh, kind of you know wrapping up the conversation. I would love to hear what the plans are for the future, like what your vision is for this, this company. And do you have any plans for future companies and how, how that's going to affect healthcare and anything that you're working on in that area? So still hundred percent focused on osmosis. Obviously yeah. ideas keep coming for different things that should be worked on. Of course, um, we're entrepreneurs. We can't, yeah, <laughs> we can't like, help it. If you experience a problem and you experience it enough, then you're going to think about how to, how to improve it. And right now, in recent months, it's been climate change. Like, I, I'm just very down on what's happening with the wildfires and droughts out in the Midwest and, and West. Uh, and so really thinking a lot about how that's going to impact people's health. Because everyone thinks about, you know, loss of home, sea levels rise, people have to be climate refugees. That's, that's obviously going to happen and very terrible. But in the lead up to that, uh, I was, uh, I've experienced wildfire smoke. That's going to have ramifications for generations in terms of uh, asthma and other pulmonary issues, potentially lung cancers, et cetera. So how do we protect people, public health uh, and individual health uh, because of climate change? Uh, so I'm thinking a lot about that stuff. But for osmosis, the, the grand vision is everyone who cares for someone will learn by osmosis. And we borrow that from Nike. Nike's vision is to provide inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. And there's an asterisk over athlete where they say, if you have a body, you're an athlete. So all 7 billion of us could be athletes and Nike customers. So for osmosis, everyone cares for someone. So whether you become a physician or want to become a nurse or audiologist or whatever career it is, you, you also still have a body. You, you care for someone. You care either for yourself, your parents, your children, uh, if you have them. And you can learn by osmosis. And so I mentioned we've, we've got 2 million YouTube subscribers. We've probably had about 50 million unique people consume our content based on unique viewer accounts uh, and estimates. And our big, hairy, audacious goal is that by 2025, a billion people will have consumed osmosis content. And so that's really ambitious. That's 10% of the world. But that's we believe that's feasible because we have we're already the largest channel on YouTube for health education. We have partnerships with these large companies like Fresenius, 23andMe, and over 150 schools right now. And we've just introduced continuing education. We do a lot of patient education work too. So we're still gunning after that, that big hairy edition goal. Do you see it getting broader uh, beyond you know clinician education and patient education, but health education for the general public? Is that is that on the track? Yeah, already with, with our COVID material, we've done a lot. YouTube's actually tapped us and not only uh, they've also paid us to create a bunch of content on uh, vaccine hesitancy, 
um, misinformation around vaccines. And we've seen this right now. Like everyone talks about flat, flattening the curve. That isn't just for, uh, for COVID. That's also for diabetes. That's also for dementia. Any preventable lifestyle associated illness, you know this better than I do as a, as a family medicine physician. Um, if we can get patients engaged and empowered early on, you know, whether first, second, third grade, we'll, we'll see a lot less lung cancer, diabetes, chronic disease issues, and we'll need a lot less clinicians to, to manage that. We can turn people into their own caregivers in many ways. And so, uh, so I'm like even stuffy today. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited about the patient education aspect of what we do. Yeah. I love that. And that's another reason why I left my kind of goal after finishing was go and do content and courses and educate people. Cause I really think that's how we fix it. The medical system as it is, is very bad at preventative medicine. Very, very bad. Uh, so yeah, lo- love that for you. Love that for the, the, the future. Uh, and, uh, you know, applause for, for doing everything that you do now, speaking to entrepreneurs and from your experience, you know, starting this, this Inc top, top company, getting 30 under 30, going to Harvard business school, all of these accomplishments, I'm sure there's a, a few people, a few books that may have helped you get there and really inspired you. Uh, so I always love to hear that. You know, what are what are those things that have touched you and helped you along the way? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I love and I'd love you know exchange book book uh, recommendations too. In recent, in the last two years, the things that have had the most impact on me and how I view the world and view what we do at Osmosis and what I do at Osmosis are um, the School of Life. So it's a great YouTube channel, and they have a bunch of books on how to how to find fulfilling work. How to lead fulfilling relationships. Um, uh, School of Life. Uh, you can just look it up. It's a great YouTube channel too. And then um, Stoicism. I love Ryan Holiday's Stoicism work. Uh, he just has a new book now coming out, Courage, Courage is Calling. But he has a book called The Obstacle is the Way. Another one called Ego is the Enemy. And there's a whole host of other Stoicism um, uh, books that I highly recommend. And it, it helps because um, you know that Stoicism is all like that's where I started realizing that my time is more valuable than my money. Um, So I I think those are two of the ones. And then for actual managing people and growing a company, you know, classics like Jim Collins, good to great. Um, Ben Horowitz's uh, the hard thing about hard things. Andy Grove's high output management. Uh, There's a whole, whole host of books that have been impactful, but I would say those are some of the ones at the top of mind. Awesome. I appreciate that. I wrote some of those down for the listeners. If you want to want to go check those out. Uh, and Shiv, this has been an awesome conversation. I do want to let you give any last pearls of advice uh, for people, uh, one, who are starting their business, uh, it, just starting that journey. And two, I, I would love to hear your, your you know, top piece of advice, top pearl uh, for professionals, whether they be medical students or doctors who might be thinking about making that jump, but are a little scared due to all of the time and emotional investment that is there. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'd say there's, you know, for the second group, there are very low risk ways to dip your toe in. And ultimately, at some point to make something successful, I think you do have to concentrate your forces. So, there, you know, leading up to it, it's almost like water boiling. So as you go to transition point from liquid water to gas, there is this critical point. And so what you can consider if you're, if you're having these doubts and pre-contemplation to contemplation in terms of changing what you do, it's like water, like more, more, more water molecules are becoming gas. And you can, you can decide, uh, there's ways to heat up 
like basically to boil that water more, which is meet other people who've done it, uh, join the dropout club, let's serve, um, read books about people who've taken risks uh, and, and flesh out your idea more if, if it's an entrepreneurial venture or something else. And so I would recommend doing that. And then ultimately to make it successful though, and this is the advice for the first group, focus is like the biggest thing. I can't tell you how many things I've started. I'm happy about all the things I've started, but very few of them have had the impact or like none of them have had the impact or scale or mon monetary benefits that osmosis has had. And the main difference is that I went all in on osmosis, right? It, other ideas probably could have been successful too, but um, but I just was trying to do too much at the same time. I was unfocused. And so ultimately compounding matters. The other piece of advice I'll give you is Amara's law, um, which is basically, basically people tend to overestimate the impact they can have in the span of a year or two, but grossly underestimate the impact they can have in 10 years. And so that's because of compounding. So the first year, year or two, you, you think you're going to raise a 50 million series A or go public in two or three years. And some companies do that, but those are the lottery winners we hear about. Um, so don't, don't have too high expectations on what you can achieve within one, two, three years, but if you stick with it, you know, you'll, you may be very surprised at where you are in five, 10 years. I love that law. I love that quote. I think uh, Tony Robbins is where I heard it for the first time. And man, it's so true. Uh, great piece of advice. Great conversation, Shiv. Thank you for spending some time with me and my audience. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, and for people who want to connect with you, I'm going to drop some of your social links uh, down down there in the in the show notes for anyone to see. But where's the best place to get in touch if anyone wants to follow what you're doing or, or get in touch? Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Jay. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, I'd recommend LinkedIn. Um, uh, just Shiv Guglani. I think I'm the only Shiv Guglani on LinkedIn uh, or Shiv at osmosis.org. Uh, would welcome the feedback. I appreciate you doing that, Shiv. Uh, great conversation. If you're listening and you love this episode, go give Shiv a follow and don't forget to leave a five-star review. Thank you, everybody. I'll see you on the next episode of Mentors Collective. You guys, if you loved this episode, do me a favor and click on the link in the description and head over to our exclusive Mentors Collective Facebook community where I post every single day and I give tons of value that I do not post in this podcast. Seriously, if you love this show, you are not going to want to miss that group. You'll also be able to connect with me personally, ask questions, and get access to a ton of free resources that I give out. All right, guys, again, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode. Peace out, mentors.